0: Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Baylife Church Port Stevens. We hope you find this message challenges and inspires you in your daily Christian walk. For more information, visit www.baylifechurch.org.
1: I want to share with you this morning, it's called the Spirit of Sonship, and I've just got a joke to start with. Um. There's this father and son work on a farm, and as happens on a lot of farms. Once the son gets older, he moves off the farm, and the dad really misses him, and this uh, particular son um, became a doctor, and it really annoyed the dad how much money he was making of being in the medical field and the fees he was charging. So the dad got fed up, and he went into the town, this country town, and he set up his own medical practice, even though he was unqualified, and he said, in my medical practice, there was a sign at the front, $500 a consultation, but if we don't heal you, we'll give you a $1,000. And the son was really annoyed. He thought, he's going to get into so much strife. So the son decides to test him out and prove to him how stupid he is. So he goes in the first day and he says, "Doc, just calls his dad doctor and he goes, listen, I've completely lost my sense of taste um, and I don't know what to do. And the dad <laughs> says to his nurse, I don't know who the nurse was, he says to nurse, nurse, go to box 42. Oh, well sorry and put four drops of that on his tongue. I'll stand over this side and see how we go. And put four drops of that on his tongue. So he's there, and the the nurse puts the four drops on, and the son goes, (laughs) So, that's petrol. That says, great, you got your sense of taste back, that'll be $500. So the son's really ticked off. He comes back the second day. Do you want me to stand in a particular spot and stay still? Does that help? No? I'll stand here. Uh, he comes back the second day and he says, "So i just got to remember, oh, and he goes, I'm deaf, I can't hear a thing. So the father goes, nurse, bring some more of that Box 42 out and put it on his tongue. And he, goes, he says, I'm not having any of that. That's gasoline, I'm not going to touch it. He goes, you got your hearing back. That'll be $500. The third and final day he comes back and he goes, I'm completely blind, I can't see a thing. And he goes, yep, you know what? We can't fix that nurse. You better give him his cheque. So the nurse gives him a cheque for 500 instead of a 1,000. He looks down, and he goes, hey, this is only for $500. He goes, you got your sight back. That'll be $500. So fathers have wisdom uh, that can sometimes overcome um, our skills. This is the thing that sums up the message. The body of Christ is designed to be established through loving fathers and led by true sons and daughters. Um, when we talk in scripture about sons, you need to understand something, that it's for the daughters as well. Those who are led by the spirit of God are the sons of God. The Bible says, Joel 2, Acts 2 talk about there's no male nor female. So every of the son is available to the to the girls too. So I don't want you to feel left out. This, this includes you. Um, to go to the window and look in, and then I'll just teach you four really short principles. Um, Three of the greatest father-son relationships in Scripture. Let me just take you there, and we'll just have a look and and learn a couple of things. first one's New Testament, Paul and Timothy in Philippians 2. Uh, I'll just read a little bit to you. I'm reading from around verse 19. I hope to send Timothy to you soon for a visit, then he can cheer me up by telling me how you are getting along. I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. Watch this. So that's, that's a really nice thing to say, but you would think all the disciples that Paul's working with and raising up are like Timothy, but apparently they're not, because his next sentence is, all the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. But you know how Timothy has proved himself like a son with his father. He has served with me in preaching the good news. Anyway, like like a son with his father. Um, I'll teach you some interesting things about how it works because the world has kind of screwed up father relationship a bit so we're all a bit afraid of it and have been dominated by it. Um, Who's the guy that wrote Wild at Heart? He says everyone carries a wound and the wound's usually from their father. Um, It's not so much that all fathers are evil but there's just the way the nature of an authority authority relationship works. It's a love relationship too but it, it gets out of whack in the world sense and if you're a dad like me, we're not perfect, are we? As a pastor, I think when my kids are little, they hit prime, going to think, you know what? When they're teenagers in the youth group, they're going to be out on the altar call like everyone else getting healing from my fathering. So, um, you know, you do your best. Let me just go to the next one. Elijah and Elisha, 2 Kings 2 and verse 9. I'll just read a little bit from there. Uh, sorry, I've got to check where it is there. 2 Kings 2. Have you? go with that one. Is that all right? one, two, one two all right uh just some stuff that happens there's lots of miracles in Elijah and Elisha right so Elijah's like the father figure and he's raised up Elisha Elisha follows him everywhere I can probably tell you quicker than I can read it um it just comes to this point where Elijah is going to be taken back to heaven and Elisha is his son wants the blessing this is a spiritual father I want his blessing and Elisha, Elijah says to him Look, I'm about to be taken home. Tell me what I can do for you before I am taken away. And Elisha says what sounds to me like a really ignorant Christian request because I've made them, I hear them a lot from people, and there's a principle operating here where Elisha asks for a double portion. As Christians, we often throw that around in our prayer, like, give us a double portion, like some greedy, insensitive thing. And it's in this section of Scripture where we learn what a double portion is and how you get it. So be very careful about asking for a double portion. I think it's good just to ask for what God wants to give you because when God wants to bless you, he has to prepare you for the blessing so that the blessing won't destroy you. If he's like Santa Claus and we just go, I want a new car, I want a bigger house, I want a really well-paying job, I don't want any hassles, I never want to go through one you know, trial and he just goes, yes, yes, yes. Well, you're just going to become an egotistical, big-headed, insensitive, selfish person who gets everything they want and is of no value to the kingdom at all. And let's just have a look what happens when he asks for this. Elijah says to him, you've asked for a really difficult thing. If you see me when I'm taken from you, then you will get your request. But if not, then you won't. A chariot of fire comes down, takes Elijah away. Elijah was carried by a whirlwind into heaven. Now, here's what happens. Elisha saw it and cried out, My father, my father. And in the original language, it means he's in deep distress. I see the chariots and charioteers of Israel. And as they disappeared from sight, Elisha tore his clothes in utter distress. Uh, That's unfortunate. But here's the deal. That's what God was looking for. God's like if you losing your spiritual dad completely breaks your heart then I can really work with that it's not this thing that the world have as I want the inheritance but I don't want the relationship I wish my old man had die so I can get the money but you know hurry up like we just discard life way too easily we don't consider it deeply enough and so this this happens in deep distress and his heart's broken and he does get the double portion wow so when you ask for a double portion you've got to know god's got to deal with your heart first um when i was going out with my wife and i said lord that's the one i want to marry can you give it to me you know as a wife he says okay so two weeks later ros breaks up with me as look you don't follow god you haven't got a big enough heart for god i'm not interested i'm moving on <laughs> it's a bit like excuse me God wasn't the prayer that said so, but what did he have to do he had to take her away break my heart and break me not not break my spirit that's a different thing break my heart so I come to a place where God I haven't got a chance without you I'm just going to follow you and it took two years but as I learned to put God first we well, I say accidentally but it was God's design we both ended up on the mission field, in the same, because we're both school teachers, in the same Christmas holidays, we had 12 countries to choose from. We both changed, chose the same country, Sri Lanka, and when they divided the team of 12 up into groups of three, they put her and I in the same team, and we travelled together. And I said, Don't even mention to her about relationships, because I just want to go, How about we get back together? <laughs> you know, like that. I'm like that inside, and um, a bit like Chris, really. But anyway. <laughs> But I was like, I just couldn't let my left hand know what my right was doing. I just served God. And at the end of that time, she said, I see that you've learnt to put God first and within two weeks of getting back, we're engaged to be married. Whoa. It's, he's not Santa Claus, is he? And why did he do that? Well, we've been married 30 years now. If he hadn't have done that, we wouldn't have made it through about the first six years. We just wouldn't have pulled it off because of what I was like. So when we ask for good things, there's a cost, but he, he doesn't do it because he the cost isn't because he's mean. The cost is he doesn't want to give it to you and it screws you up or if he gives it to you, he doesn't want you to wreck someone else's life up. So life works like that. It's a tough thing and, and Elijah and Elisha teaches that amazingly. Last one, Moses and Joshua is the simplest to understand. It's in Exodus 17. Um, it's just they go into battle. Moses is getting older and more frail, like I was going to say Greg and I, but I'll just say me. <laughs> so there's a battle. And in verse 9 of Exodus 17, uh, Moses says to Joshua, who's one of his key leaders, choose some men. Go out and fight the army of Amalek for us tomorrow. I will stand at the top of the hill holding my staff. And you all know the story. While he was able to hold the staff, they were winning. And when his arms got tired and began to drop, they started losing the battle. The the message that's supposed to be coming through in this is that the son, even though he's got the energy and the strength to do the fighting, it's the anointing from God coming through the father. No, it's not his father's anointing. It's the anointing of God coming through the father because anointing always only comes through relationship. That's letting him win the battle. And it's interesting because uh at the end... uh The Lord instructs Moses, verse 14, write this down on a scroll as a permanent reminder and read it aloud to Joshua. Because Joshua was just fighting. The battle was going to and fro. He didn't know that every time Moses' hands came down or went up, it determined which way the battle went. And God wanted him to know. Don't think, you're a great leader, but don't think you won the battle. It came through relationship. It came through anointing and you've got to honour that anointing. Um, I just like the bit because it's how I feel a bit these days. It goes, as long as Moses held... Uh, um, sorry, he got tired. So someone not only had to hold up his hands, they got a rock for him to sit on. It was like he needed all this help. So sometimes when the spiritual dad gets old, like he's got to release leadership, but they need help. They need the sons to do the fighting. They need people to hold their arms up. They need someone to get a chair, and it's good to have that kind of respect. I, I love the way, and I'll say this now, but I'll touch on it again later. It's just on my heart so clearly for you guys. How did the father and the son operate? I, I want you to see this. There was no domination. We, we're we brought up in a world of, you know, or if you work for your dad in the business, the dad's the boss, do everything he says, and, and dads lord it over their sons and and scare their sons or daughters off. But with the father and Jesus... The Father's very delegative and trusting. I've committed all authority to the Son. It says the Father judges no one, not, not in, this, in this era we're in. The Father judges no one but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, all authorities being, wow. And Jesus goes, hey, I just do what I see the Father doing and then the fruit of my life, I go and give it back to him. And the father's response to that is, I give all authority to the son. He gives him more. So their relationship is so unique and so non dominant, uh, sorry, non dominating. I think we just see way too much of, of um, insensitive domination by fathers. Uh, okay, four principles. I've probably just taught you one. The first one. The Father is not superior to the Son and is not to lord it over him. Is there anything... Can I just give you this example? So that was the first one that I just taught you. There's a couple in our church that helped start our church, Henry and Victoria. They both died in in the last few years and they're always very respectful of me. When we came to our church, it was 20 people and it had been in trouble for a long time. Um, And it wasn't a very nice place to be. Ten people came and said, We hate you. If you stay, we're going. And the other 10 said, we like you, if you stay, we're staying. So I go, what do I do with that? He goes, don't do anything with that, just do what I tell you to do. So we stayed because that's what he told us to do. But there was this one couple who were beautiful and they they uh, they were always respectful. In fact, at Victoria's funeral just a few months ago, one of the daughters came and said, when you first came to the church, because it was an ethnic church, um, and beautiful people by the way, but... The other the half, they had this plan to get rid of you because they wanted to keep it ethnic and not grow. They, they wanted that small, that small thing to work because it, it, it met some of their needs. And there was this plan to get rid of you, but they're all so scared of Bruce Robertson, who you brought with you, that they didn't put the plan into effect. I thought, God bless Bruce Robertson. The things that, and the things that happen when you plan, you know, I won't tell you which church, but one of our churches, they just reach drug addicts. Only people that aren't ex-drug addicts are the pastor and his wife, and it's a small church. But everyone's an an ex-drug addict. And um, the first two weeks they were there, he rings me. I nearly said his name. He rings me and he goes, the guy that's helping us with the offering is stealing money out of the offering. I said, is he stealing much? He said, no, it just takes about 10 bucks. That's probably for cigarettes or food. And I said, I've got a scripture for you. He goes, what's that? Put him in jail. I said, no, Judas was stealing money from the offering. What did Jesus do about it? Nothing. So... I wouldn't say that to your church. It's not a principle I'm teaching but I'm just saying in this situation there was a unique little leading, don't hammer this guy, just just stay with him. And what he did, he waited a few weeks, he confronted, he, he let it know what was happening and the guy said, because the guy said, can I see you? And he thought that's the time to do it. And the guy told him and he said, yeah, I know, but I didn't feel to do anything about it. And that guy kind of repented of that, paid the money back and now, eight or so years down the track, is the most loyal, faithful man in that church. So I'm not saying you do that in every situation. I'm just saying that was unique for that situation and Jesus had a unique situation and didn't kick the guy off his team. But in Jesus' situation, that thing became a stronghold in that guy's life and eventually took him out. Wow. So it's just interesting. Henry Victoria, both of them when they were dying, I was called to the hospital in their last hours And both times after getting the family's permission because they were suffering, I just felt to release them in God. And I said a similar thing to both of them, you know, Henry or Victoria. Henry, if you can see Jesus in the room and he's reaching out to you, it's, it's fine to let go. We release you to let go. Within 10 minutes, he died. Victoria was a few months ago and exactly the same thing happened. Now, that family... Think I have the most potent authority in God they've ever seen because I just say this thing and people let go of their life. But there's there's no power in me. There's not the slightest inkling. It's just a pastor's heart, and I love them. I don't want them to suffer. But do you know do you know where that comes from? It's because they they respect you. We don't have any authority over people. The only authority we have is what people give us. The respect and the love was there. So they allowed me to have that authority. In fact, I looked through Scripture. I couldn't find really anywhere where it was real specific on you have authority over people. Jesus' words are usually, I've given you authority over the enemy. And when we have authority over the enemy and we learn to walk in that and we overcome the things that the enemy is doing in our life, people see that and they go, I know God's with you. You can have some authority over me. Wow. And that's a little bit more how it works. And it's a very dangerous thing. Anyone who thinks, oh, I want to be a preacher, I want to be a preacher. Just Listen, really, to preach every week, you've got to carry the weight of the church. And it's probably going to kill most of you. So it's better just to say, God, what do you want me to do? I want to, I want to boss people around. Like, I was a school teacher. So I, to, oh, I just can't wait to become a school teacher and boss kids around. Man, the amount of responsibility and stuff that goes with that. And if you have a wrong spirit and don't love the kids in doing that, all you're going to do is stir up anger against you and frustration, and you won't last very long in teaching. Second principle it's not always, I like, I find this the most interesting. It's not always the quality of the fathering that counts as much as the quality of the sonship. The best example in Scripture is David um, with Saul. Saul was the guy that God put David under. And the first time Saul throws the spear at him to try and kill him, he goes to God he goes, what will I do? He says, stay in the palace. Later on, he gets to leave. He had incredible respect. Remember, he's in the cave and he cuts off the hem of Saul's garment, but then he repents. How how dare I lift my hand against God's anointed? Whoa. Saul was doing a fair bit of wrong stuff at that stage and yet... That's there. And I realised this because I've suffered from this myself. I had a pretty tough dad that was brought up in the outback and his mum tried to kill him when he was 13 and then she committed suicide. So he'd been through horrific stuff. So he's was pretty tough. Um, and I found that difficult. So we probably didn't have a great relationship and I was always a bit angry about that. But when I fully understood what he'd been through... I began to forgive and release. But I thought we do, all of us, have these huge expectations of what we want our father to be like. And it strows us a bit when they're not perfect or they're a bit harsh or they have a weakness or they, they fail. We, we don't like that. And yet, every, everyone falls short. Um, and where dads haven't been great, we can have other role models that, that, that really help us. But our high expectations are a bit of a deal. And when my mum died... Um, I was a bit shocked. She died of cancer, I'm just trying to think, 70s. My dad's now 97 and uh, until two years ago, I was his carer for a number of years and that was a shock because I didn't didn't know but I did after my mum died, I found this thing in me that went, wow, I thought dad would die first and I'd get some really sweet years with mum because I got on well with her but God did it the other way around, and I thought. Then I had to look after him and learn to relate, and became his carer, and I found that hard. It was time consuming. It was inconvenient, and he was incredibly bossy. What are you doing that for? You know, he was like that on everything. Um, oh God! Yeah. But a day came where I went. You know what, God? My brother lives overseas. My sister's died early. It's just me, and I get the privilege. I, I refused to see it as a chore anymore. I just hit this turning point where it had taken enough out of me I couldn't cope. And it was either figure out a way to cope, you know, or what. So I just meant, you know, I, I'm going to see this as absolute privilege. And through that, over, over about four years, our relationship was restored and appreciation came in and uh, things like that. I, it didn't turn into a perfect relationship, but there was this respect there. Um, and God uses this life to do stuff like that. This this life is not heaven. This life has got a whole other design to prepare you to rule and reign up there. There are reasons that you have trials, and I'll I'll share with you something really important that'll help you understand trials at the end. Third thing a father's blessing only flows through trust. Romans four thirteen says a really interesting thing, and in the way the New King James says it, because I do raise a lot of leaders up and I, I see this from time to time and I'll tell you what I think it is, but it says this, for if those that are of the law are made heirs, faith is made void and the promise has no effect because law brings wrath. So you'll find, if any of you had businesses, you'll know this. You, you sort of say to someone, look, I'd, I'd like to raise you up or I'd like to give you a job, let's work together. And in your, in your heart is, and out of the relationship, We'll see what happens and, and uh, you know, we'll, we'll work on it. And I can bless you. I can release you. But some of them then just go into this thing where it's like, okay, now you've said that, I'm going to hold you to that and I'm going to do my own thing and not cooperate and I'll tell you how hopeless you are and, you, and you'll and you bless me. It just happens from time to time. I think I realised, I read in a book, I a guy named John Alley, he, he talks about some of this stuff. He said a really interesting He says, sometimes in life and church and business, you come across an orphan spirit. You come across the thing of, um, you know, they haven't been brought up with a dad. They don't know how to trust a dad, even though he's a bit tough. They, because they haven't learned how to trust, it's impossible for them to trust you. So you can use the normal ways that lead to success, like reasoning with people, like loving them with your heart, like showing grace, and the effect it has is almost the opposite. They'll tend to, because their heart hasn't doesn't get it, they'll they'll tend to try and take the advantage out of that and use you for what they can get. So I'm not saying an orphan spirit's an evil thing. I'm actually t- telling you they're just simply unable to work under the normal boundaries. And if you've found that thing when you can't reason with people and you're up against some kind of spirit, you can try as hard as you like to reason, but it just won't work. Even as a school teacher, I, I had an email just last week because we had a 25-year anniversary. This girl didn't know it, but she sent an email. And I taught her a school, I remember her, and she said, um, a few months ago, my boys and I are homeless and i got all this damage um, from domestic abuse and we had to flee and I'm homeless and I'm sitting in the car. And I thought, I can't take it. It even takes too much effort to breathe. I just can't take it. So she was going to end her life. I'm... She didn't say what her plan was for the boys, whether she was going to take their life or not. I don't know. And she said, I sat in the car and I, I, she said, I remembered you teaching me in third class. I'm 42 now and that was when I was eight. And I remember you teaching us, if ever we got like that, to cry out to God and ask him for something. And I said, God, please speak to me. And this song that we used to sing in school, uh, it's like those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. That should never be removed." And she remembered this song, and she said just it was like God came into the car with me, and I just didn't commit suicide and um you know and the and and the thing went on, but I thought, well that seed was sowed in when she was eight, and here it is bearing fruit when she's forty two but the 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 thing I wanted to say because we help we let homeless people sleep in their cars on our property at church, and some people don't like that um but they do, <laughs> if it's the kid that they taught when she was eight, and they're in a situation like that, then they get wow! Isn't it good that we help homeless? But see, see how it's not until you have relationship, it's not until you understand the story that you're able to do the stuff. And this is why relationships so important. Um, Anyway, I, I just won't say much more on that because I, I don't understand it enough. I just no trust and It's a really big thing, and it's so frustrating as a, as a you know in a parent role when you've got the best for someone, but you've got to send them out to get experience or they've got to do this, but they don't get that, and then they stand against you and they get angry with that, and you think, wow, I would have looked after you, <laughs> but uh, I don't know. That's just a very frustrating thing. Fourth and last, being a good son or daughter immediately releases your parenthood. Um, so Jesus was a good son, Writer It says in Isaiah 9, for to us a child is born, a son is given. So Jesus comes as a son, but then he gives his other descriptions. The government's on his shoulder. He's called counsellor, God, prince of peace, wonderful God, prince of peace, everlasting father. So Jesus comes as a perfect son and already he has a label of everlasting father. Let, let me just give you another take on it. A guy in my church, he's a chiropractor. Once a year we go salmon fishing together in his boat because he's a really good fisherman. Anyway, we're in Lake Macquarie because sometimes there's thousands of salmon in there. But I was at the end of salmon season and they weren't on the bite much. So we, he takes me out through the Swansea Channel. Is it Moon Island out there? I'm not sure what it's called. Anyway, we're fishing this anyway. We're fishing one side where it's sheltered and we, I feel safe in the boat and not much is happening. We drive around the other side just to check it out and the water is just boiling with salmon. It's just like, it was, it was amazing. Uh, I saw a shark flash past going after them. Then we saw uh, there's two big dolphins herding them up. And then there's two big seals there right next to the boat where we're trying to, because we're using the lures and it's just chuck it out, wind it in fast. And the seals are really ticked off and coming over the bank, <laughs> you know, leave us alone. And then they're chasing the fish that we're trying to get. Not only that, where the fish were, he was so determined for me to get a fish. It's on a bommie and the bomby's working, but it's not it's not super bad. But mind you, it's about three or four foot, just enough to tip the boat over. So he goes, I'll drive in, you'll get about two casts, go flat out, and then I'll drive back again. But I've sort of cast, but I'm just watching for the next swell because. I know when you've got a fish on, you forget to look. Is the swell coming? Should we be in? So all this is happening. Sharks, dolphins, seals, bombing. I'm like, yeah, I just want to live to tell the tale. <laughs> but he says to me, now, I want you to watch this. He's the, he is the son trying to bless his spiritual dad. And he goes, Mark, I know what I'm doing. If you trust me, we can enjoy this. I'll watch the bombing, I'll make sure we don't tip over, I want you to enjoy the fishing. I went, okay. So what was happening? The son, who was taking his dad out to do fishing and wanted to bless him, as he's blessing me, what did he become when he's going, trust me, I know what I'm doing, you'll be okay. What did he become? A father, I know. So as soon as you're a good son or daughter, it draws that out of you. And so I've got this saying, good sons or good daughters make the best parents. So good sons make the best fathers. It's just a great principle. And that's what Paul says somewhere else in Scripture. um, uh, Choose some of the sons. Where was that scripture? Uh, It's in there. When I find it, I'll read it out. Choose the sons to make apostolic fathers, it basically says. Find good sons and make them apostolic fathers. Okay. So that's, that's the last thing. Um, okay, can I finish with two things? All right. Joel Osteen says a really interesting thing. I want you to understand this. Remember, I said about trouble? Some of you don't understand trouble because I'm like, you, I don't have trouble. But as a father, I prayed way too many times Lord, don't let my kids go through anything, no pain. No sorrow, no troubles. (laughs) I remember one day the Holy Spirit just stopping me. I was like, "Whoa! if I answer this prayer, you're just going to end up with conceited, insensitive, selfish kids that are going to make the world a worse place, not a better place. Wow, that was a shock. (laughs) But I'm like you, I don't like troubles. But I want you to watch this. God will let us go through them because they train us and they position us to a place where he can bless us with a good wife or a good church. Um, so Osteen teaches this. You know Moses is born, right? So his parents are pretty excited, but but this persecution breaks out and like when Jesus was born, they started killing all the firstborn males um, wherever it was in Israel at the time. So his parents in frantic desperation thinking, he's going to die, we've got to try something so they take a step of faith they make the little basket that floats seal it with tar put him in the river at least he can live longer maybe you know something will happen or god will provide you never know so the emperor's daughter finds him um and you know the baby thing happens she's like wow and one of her servants says why don't we get one it's a hebrew baby why don't we get one of the hebrew mums to help look after him i i think it means in scripture to suckle him as well so they wanted to find someone that could do that they choose his mother so there's god's hand to come and look after him moses is raised up learns how to lead a nation because he's trained in pharaoh's courts and because he's leading the nation and he's wise in how he does it when israel's starving to death and the whole nation's going to die of famine a nation is saved why because God didn't rescue Moses from the trouble that was about to beset him. <whistles> Joel O'Sean says our troubles transport us to where God wants us to be. It might give us a quality that's going to help someone down the track. It might put us in a position or a place. It might make you move cities, eh? Have you ever done that thinking, this is so unfair? So God, we're in a church of 800 on the central coast. This church at Cardiff comes up. <laughs> Kev says... Brian Houston told me to ask you, Do you want that church? I said, Not a chance in hell. <laughs> but I'll pray about it. And I wasn't even sincere about praying about it. I just kinda I figured I'm a youth pastor, I better say the right thing. And I went to bed that night and I hadn't prayed about it. And at midnight the Holy Spirit woke up and said, You said you'd pray. And I got up really half heartedly. I sort of threw my Bible open on my lap and just did the <laughs> Cause I so either wanted a scripture that said no or nothing. And I look down and it's forget your people and your father's house. <laughs> it's like, oh. And it started this journey that we went to Newcastle. It felt really unfair. And it felt really unfair because we'd just done an extension on our home and spent our last dollar on furniture to put in the extension. And two days after the furniture was delivered and we had no money, we got the move to Newcastle. <laughs> oh, God, I've got no money. More. What am I going to do that with? So we went to a church of 20 and Ros was pregnant. It was like Mary and Joseph. And we went from two wages of $400 at the time, the school teachers, to one wage of 150 <laughs> There wasn't much food in the fridge. One day we got down to one block of cheese and two slices of bread. It was only one day and it was a faith journey. It seems so unfair, but... Now that we've got a nice building and 900 people and lots of musos and we give hundreds of thousands of dollars to missions and there's all these beautiful churches that are propped up with these great people who we're in fantastic relationship with, now I stand in worship and go, God, all you've ever done is bless me. But I didn't, I didn't worship like that on the way through. I didn't worship when the blessing was the trial part of the thing before the fruit had come through. When I wasn't engaged to ros I wasn't standing there oh, thank you, God, you just blessed me. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> I'd oh, better not have my hands up if I'm saying that to God. Sorry, God, what are you doing? But the day comes where it turns around and you see grace for what it is and you see even trial. God is so amazing at using all things for good that the trial actually became a blessing now when you look back. Wow. How amazing is that? And that's, that's how it works. I'll just, I'll just finish with one thing. Do you want me to stop now? Have you shared the Phil Camden thing that he spoke at state conference with the church at all? Okay, there's a guy named Phil Camden who's a great pastor, um, has motor neurone disease, and he's already lasted 18 months longer than he's supposed to, and it's affected him quite a lot. But he's such an interesting guy to listen and talk about the journey. So the thing that sums it up is that he shared at state conference with us this year was, um, what happens when God's answers no? It's God, I'm going to die a shocking death because motor neuron things just stop working, um, you know. So he's been to all the healing, <laughs> the answers no. So he feels led to join the motor neuron support group. And through that, he's led a couple of guys to the Lord that are, that have now died. And one of them actually got saved. He was a guest speaker in our church one Sunday. And the guy had come to church for the first time in his life that Sunday to hear Phil because he liked the way Phil loved him and treated him. And he heard the gospel and he responded and gave his heart to the Lord. He, was, he died a few months later. So, you know, I was there watching when this happened. And he talked about this. And it, we got it, but it's true as always. He talked about the yes behind the no. That whenever God says no, there's always a yes behind it. Um, you know, some piece of fruit or something that you will be glad of that happens as a result of God saying no to you. Now, now watch this. I just want to take you to the cross because I like finishing with you at the cross. Um, two things in Jesus' death experience. In the garden... Jesus' prayer was, Father, can you take this cup from me? What was the answer? No. What about even when he's dying? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was that was like a no answer, wasn't it? But let's just deal with the garden. So God's answer to his son is no. Side light, we won't have a clue what that's like until we're in heaven. Maybe you have a clue if you've lost a child. And you would understand a little bit of if you had the power to intervene to save your child's life, but you said no to save the rest of mankind, well, the cost to the father, I don't think we have any idea what that's like until we get to heaven. That's that's just another thing. So watch this. The father's answer to his own son is no. Do you know what the yes was behind it? you your salvation you're sitting there in church this morning because the father said no to his son oh it's a type of feel god says so no feel i've got people that are gonna enter heaven because you're going through this war. i i can't even go there i had, i wouldn't even be able to say yes i'm willing you know what i mean i'm not i'm just not there But nevertheless, I think it's a good thing if we use it to go, wow, at least thank the Father. Thank you for my salvation and what it cost because I'm the yes that was behind your no. So let's pray. Father, we get blown away by how much greater your love for us is than what we ever have understood before. We, We just say this, Lord, we're willing to trust, even if we can't. We're willing to learn how to trust because the fruit of trusting and the anxiety that trusting takes out of our lives is fantastic. So we just come to you. We need your help. We thank you this morning, Father. We want to be good sons and daughters and we want to be good fathers and mothers too. In Jesus' name.
0: Amen. Awesome. Hey, um, just while. We're in this state of prayer. I just want to maybe extend that trusting theme just for a second. So if you just want to close your eyes and bow your heads, I just want to invite you to trust God even to a new level here this morning. And maybe here this morning you have asked Jesus into your heart before, but for some reason you just haven't been trusting him. Maybe you've backed away from that. some reason you've just backed away and got distracted or or whatever's happened. Or maybe for you you've never asked Jesus into your heart. and And here's an opportunity here this morning to to start that journey with God, that trusting journey with God. And it it, it seems difficult, but you know what? It starts with a decision to ask Jesus into your heart. And I'll lead you in that prayer in a minute, if that's you here this morning. There's a choice to be made by you. The choice is, yes, I'm brave enough to put up my hand to start this journey. And and I'm going to invite you right now, if that's you this morning, be brave. Be brave. Ask Jesus into your heart, and it will make an eternal difference. An eternal difference. So while all heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if that's you here this morning, just put your hand up and say, Greg, that's me. I want to start this journey. I want to start this journey again. If that's you, just fantastic. That's awesome. That's awesome. Anyone else here this morning? Say, yep, that's me. Greg, yes, fantastic. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Just, just think that God is your loving Father. Maybe you've never had an earthly father like that, but he loves you with all his heart. He wants the best for you. And here this morning, he's, he's inviting you into that relationship. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the relationship with you. We thank you for the seeds that are sown. God, we, we declare we are sinners, God. And um, we, we recognize that about ourselves, God. But God, we, we, we choose to trust you this morning. We choose to give you our lives. And we pray that you will do what you need to do with that in every season, God. We love you, Lord. We declare you, Lord, of our lives and our savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the message today
1: brought to you by Baylife Church. We hope the message leaves you feeling challenged and inspired
0: to live out your Christian walk. Please tune in again for next week's message.